So we continue this morning with our Latin theme of sharing the psalm like we did with the children this morning and then reading from one of the letters of the New Testament. This morning is another one of Paul's um, from 1 Corinthians. And so here now, part of this letter. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples for us, so that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not become idolaters as some of them did. And it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. And do not complain, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened to them to serve as an example, and they were written down to instruct us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. This ends our scripture. Will you pray with me? O gracious and loving God, May the meditations of all our hearts and minds and souls be pleasing unto you. Amen. So with the theme in mind, um, I struggled with this letter. And sometimes Paul's passages are taken out of context, and so it's hard sometimes to hear just a piece of a letter. But even when I put this piece in context, I still struggled with it. And I wondered what you would be thinking this morning as you heard this passage, because I really, really struggled with it. So I decided to write Paul a letter myself. After the first worship, someone said to me, can you, can you really do that? And I said, well, well I did. And, um, <laughs> And the walls are still standing, so we'll we'll see how this goes, and we'll see if he writes back. But here's my letter to Paul, based on this scripture that we just heard. Dear Paul, I hope you won't mind if I open my letter to you with the same greeting that you opened all of your letters. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The faithful here at the First Congregational Church of Western Springs send our greetings and blessings to you. Well, Paul, you may have already heard, but we are in the midst of the liturgical season known as Lent. Lent is something the church created to remind us to repent and turn our hearts back to God. 
as we remember Jesus' own 40 days in the wilderness where he continually faced temptations. You, of course, spent your entire ministry preaching the gospel and trying to teach these new converts what it meant to follow Jesus' example and to resist the temptations that were present for your newly forming churches. Well, did you know that a large part of the Bible that we call the New Testament is a collection of letters? And most of those letters are attributed to you, Paul. So this year for Lent, we decided to spend some time exploring what those letters still mean to us today, thousands of years later, as we are still faithfully trying to be better Christians and follow Jesus' teachings. It is our hope that your words, Paul, will offer us wisdom and sage advice. Two weeks ago, Pastor Rich read from your letter to the Romans, which included this, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. And last week, Pastor Catherine read from one of your letters, which ended with you calling the faithful in Philippi, your beloved. So many of your letters speak of love and the gifts of the spirit and the beautiful image of us living as the body of Christ to carry out his mission. But today, I was asked to read a section from your first letter to your beloved in Corinth. And as I read it, I was quite perplexed for how contradictory it sounded in comparison to so many of your letters. And frankly, I wasn't quite sure what to think of it. Because my dear Paul, I'm afraid there are parts of it I just can't agree with. So with all due respect, I'm going to share with you some of my questions and concerns. First, you begin this passage by reminding us of our ancestors' history in Israel, that they had been passed through the sea, were baptized by Moses, ate the same spiritual food, and drank the same spiritual drink. But then, you quickly tell the story that God wasn't pleased with them, and as a result, were struck down in the wilderness, and when they put God to the test, were destroyed by serpents, and if they complained, they were destroyed by the destroyer. Well, the complaining part sort of stood out and caught my attention because, frankly, I've been known to complain from time to time, and I'm guessing most of my fellow humans have done the same, and yes, sometimes that complaining is directed to God. And who or what are you exactly referring to as the destroyer? So here's my first concern about what you've written. I believe in a loving God that would never strike me or anyone else down in the wilderness or destroy me with serpents. And I believe our God is so loving that even when I complain, I am still loved. And I think you believe that too, Paul, because in just a few pages later of this very same letter, you profess that of hope, faith, and love, that love is the most important. So can you see, Paul, why all this talk of being struck down and destroyed by serpents doesn't really resonate with our loving God? Second, yes, there's more, Paul, so just brace yourself. You say, these things happen to them to serve as an example, and then written down to instruct us. Well, did I mention that I believe that our God is a loving God, and a loving God wouldn't cause these horrible things to happen in the first place? And if for some reason we believed that God were causing catastrophes, 
surely God wouldn't do that just so that we would have the opportunity to learn from someone else's mistakes. And based on my own experience, this seems like a flawed model anyway, in terms of best teaching practices. You see, I am the youngest of eight kids, and when I was really little, I kept telling myself that I was not going to repeat those mistakes that my older siblings made, because that did not look like fun. Well, I won't bore you with the specifics, but sure enough, my teenage years arrived and I repeated their mistakes all over again. Just ask my parents. But surely God knows this, seeing as since the beginning of time, we keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again. We tell ourselves that we should preserve and tell the stories of history so that we don't repeat the atrocities of the past, and yet here we are today, still at war, still persecuting one another. Some of us have more food and square footage than we know what to do with, while others are starving and lonely and homeless. I wish it weren't so, and I, sure, and I know that you wish it weren't so, but we have a long way to go to creating the kingdom on earth that Jesus envisions for us. Yes, we should learn from the examples of the past, but, God, but does God create these horrific examples to teach us? I just have to say a resounding no. And finally, perhaps what bothered me the most was your closing comment that God will not let us be tested beyond our strength. I don't believe God is ever testing us. I know some who believe this because they say things like, God never gives you more than you can handle, which is frankly about the least comforting thing you could say to someone when they're in the depths of suffering. And this implies, or at least it seems to imply, that God is creating or controlling that suffering in the first place. And I do not believe that God creates suffering. And tragically, there is some suffering that is frankly unbearable. So unbearable, in fact, that individuals choose to end their own lives rather than suffering another moment. Paul, I cannot for a minute believe that our loving God creates such misery or is testing us just to see how much we can endure. But finally, I'm sure you'll be glad to know that I can agree with what you say at the end. God is faithful. God is with us. And in this time of Lent, as we, remembering, as we remember the suffering that Jesus endured, we know that God and Jesus can understand our suffering and are with us every moment. Paul, I'm afraid that in most of this passage, you come across as an angry parent, perhaps saying things in the heat of the moment, desperate to set your children straight. Sort of like when I would tell my kids that they were going to be grounded for the rest of their lives when they had done something that disappointed me. Not exactly my most attractive parenting moments. And of course, it didn't work anyway. And your attempts to reprimand us and warn us of our feelings or failings, it feels like shaming rather than loving. For remember in Rome when you wrote, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. So dear Paul, in spite of my questions and concerns about this section of your letter to your friends in Corinth, here is what I also believe. I believe you wanted the best for these dear people, 
that you called your beloved. You wanted them to grow and prosper and live the life of joy that you believed Jesus wants us to live. You didn't want them to have to repeat the same mistakes our ancestors made. Your intent was from a place of love, and for that, I am grateful. But remember when Jesus gathered his friends around the table that last night, when he knew he was surrounded by people that in spite of their love for him would end up denying and betraying him? He knew that we too will always be less than perfect and we'd keep repeating the sins of the past. And so his greatest gift to us perhaps is to love us anyway. And by loving us, Rather than by shaming us, we stand a much, much better chance of not repeating the same mistakes over and over again. That's called the hope of redemption. That's called mercy. And that is good news. That from a place of love, we will be made new, and from that place, we can go out and change the world for the better. So the church gave us this gift of Lent to spend time humbly considering what temptations we give into that separate us from God. It's a time dedicated to assessing and confessing how we can become better disciples, following the teachings of Christ. And as we confess, we are reminded that Jesus poured out the wine of love, that we might leave the table renewed, refreshed, and liberated to begin anew. And so, dear Paul, maybe you said it the best when you long ago wrote this. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May it be so. In Christ, humbly, your sister, Meredith.